3: Hi, it's
0: Asha. Just a warning that this episode contains references to the mosque attacks of March 15th, 2019. Some of the material could be disturbing to some people. This can be hard stuff. If you need to talk to a trained counsellor, just ring 1737.
4: I'm passing the days, but I have no idea what's going to happen.
0: Sanjita Nehajaman sits cross-legged on a bed in a small, dark room in Christchurch, cradling her newborn baby. I don't know.
4: I cry sometimes that I'm alone. And then sometimes I think the other way that I have to be strong for my daughter.
0: Strong. Because your husband will never hold the little girl. I always have the question
4: in my mind when she grows up. She'll ask me, where's my father? How are you going to answer that question?
0: Neha's husband... Omar Farouk was shot on a clear Friday afternoon in March 2019. Farouk was one of 51 men, women, and children who were killed at two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand. Depending on the source, the murders that day rank eighth or ninth on the list of the most deadliest mass shootings in modern history. More than the Orlando nightclub shooting, more than the massacres at Port Arthur and Dunblane. Those fifty-one were victims of an act of terror that has left so
1: many lives in pieces. But this time he's never gonna respond and never gonna pick up the calls and it's just gonna be me and my thoughts and my you know, my memories. There's
0: twenty-seven-year-old Farah Talal. She lost her husband, Atta Eliyan, in the attacks.
4: Kia ora, good afternoon. We're interrupting normal programming with some breaking news after reports of a shooting in Central Christchurch this afternoon.
2: Witnesses reporting seeing a man enter the mosque opposite Hagley Park dressed in a military jacket and he just started shooting, they say.
5: I used to drive my car everywhere. I can't drive now. If I hear a slight bang, I get scared. Mahubba Ali Jama lost her husband of 16 years, Sheikh Mose. I used to be happy, but not now. 47 of the 51
0: killed were male, 31 were husbands. They were shot while kneeling in prayer. In Muslim tradition, these men are martyrs, shuhada, innocents who died in the purest state a state of prayer.
2: But their widows are left to live their lives without them. We have not just lost our breadwinners. In my family, we have lost our imam, our leader, our entertainer, our very, very handy man, our favourite chef, and most importantly, my sons have lost a loving father who had big dreams and hopes for them.
0: Women like Hamima Tuyan who's now raising two young sons on her own. These four widows are all, in their own way, on a similar path. A path through grief, of acceptance, of a deepening faith. A path laid down for them by the events of March 15th.
5: New Zealand now on high alert after the worst terror attack in that nation's history. (laughs) Sirens shatter the peace of Christchurch. करे आगाज
4: में आपको बताएं कि न्यूजीलैंड के शहर में Ich
5: habe wie viele andere auch mit entsetzen vom schrecklichen auf zwei in christchurch
3: gehört için bir araya gelen
0: we may be more than 11,000 miles away from Christchurch in New Zealand, but we feel the ripples of hatred, we feel the ripples of fear, and we feel the ripples of sorrow. One person, a male in his late 20s, has been charged with murder. Assalamu alaikum. I'm Asha Abdi. I know these women and their stories because I'm a part of the Muslim community here in Christchurch, just like them. I sort of grew up in al Noor Mosque, the first place of worship that was targeted by the gunmen that day. And in the years since the attacks, we've been following the lives of these four women.
1: As they grieve. Wish I could hear his voice again or just hug him one more time.
2: As they rebuild. So I have no choice but to step bravely forward together as a family of three into a life ahead without our beloved Baba.
0: As they try to make sense of the most senseless of acts. I ask, why has Allah taken him away? Even as they sometimes find the joy and laughter of life. (laughs) Like the birth of a newborn baby. even though she'll always have questions about March 15th. Over the past year, we've been privileged to walk alongside these incredible women, leading up to the one year anniversary of the tragedy. Over the eight parts of this podcast, we'll share that journey with you too. You'll get to know Niha, Farah, Mohuba and Hamima. Get a glimpse of how some of the living victims of one of the world's most deadly mass shootings have dealt with the horror they experienced that day. This is Widows of Shuhada, brought to you by RNZ and Plains FM. Assalamu alaikum
1: I lost the most precious person in my life, and I lost it in an act of hate. And he was one of you know, he was a very loving man, and I don't feel like he deserved what happened. But at the same time, I know that that was the golden ticket for him to go to heaven. So, alhamdulillah for everything. We first sat
0: down to talk with Farah, Niha, Muhubba and Hamima in September, six months after the attacks. Why did it take so long? Well, partly we were all in shock, coming to terms with the magnitude of this tragedy for our community, the country, and the world, really. But it was also because the women were in Iddah. So the the Islamic period of
3: mourning, which is also known as Iddah in Arabic, consists of four lunar months and ten days.
0: This is Jemiah Jones. She's the woman's coordinator at Al-Nur Mosque. She was there when the gunman walked in, firing at her congregation, her friends. We'll hear more on that next episode. But for now and throughout this podcast series... Jamai is going to help me to explain some of our Muslim customs and beliefs, like Idda. During this time,
3: the widows tend to have no contact with men outside their immediate families, and they also refrain from socialising. Why do you think it's like this? There's a few reasons. For example, it allows the woman to mourn their husband's death and to protect them from criticism from the community about possibly remarrying too quickly after his the, the husband's death. And also to see whether a woman is pregnant or not, since four and a half months is half the length of a normal pregnancy, and when a woman is likely to be visibly pregnant.
4: Assalamu alaikum. My name is Neha, and I am one of the widows of Crusture Mosque attack. My husband's name is Omar Farooq, and I belong to Bangladesh.
0: The attacks have bound these women together. They share something that few can get their heads around. But Niha, what she's been through is unique. She was pregnant on March 15th. Her baby was born five months later, on the 28th of August, a light in the darkness. She's such a good girl
4: more than I had ever thought she would be. She always plays at night time. She never cries. I'm so much at peace with her.
0: The baby's full name is Noori Umar.
4: So, Noor means light,
3: just like a nur moss, which means the moss of the light.
0: Which is where the baby's father took his last breath. Hmm.
4: She is part of my life.
0: I have a feeling when she breathes
4: and cries, she reminds me of Farooq.
0: So you might have noticed that Niha calls her husband by his surname, Farooq. There's nothing particularly significant about it. It's like a nickname, her familiar way of referring to him. Niha's native languages are Bangla and Urdu. She uses a little English too. She feels most comfortable to share her thoughts in Urdu though, so we have a little help from a translator.
4: My life is different, because after Farooq died, I have more courage, I mean that I have a reason to live now, that God has taken one life but has given another life to me. My life before the incident was completely different.
0: Neha is just 21 years old. She was living in Bangladesh at the time of the attacks while her husband, Omar, was working as a welder in New Zealand.
4: My life was really wonderful back in Bangladesh. I was the first and the oldest daughter in the family. I had a young brother. My family was very small. Me, my brother, mother and father.
0: Neha grew up in a city called, now I'm probably not going to pronounce this right, but Narayanganj. As is traditional for Bangladeshi Muslims, she lived at home with her family until she got married.
4: My university started in 2017. I did a Bachelor of Business Administration in the first year.
0: Narayanganj is a city of more than 2 million people. The population density there, which basically refers to how many people you can squeeze into a city, is 470,000 per square kilometre. In Christchurch it's two hundred and seventy per square kilometer, not two hundred and seventy thousand, like literally just two hundred and seventy
4: then I got married to Farooq.
0: for Niha and Omar, their wedding was a big, noisy, decorated occasion. Neha wore a beautiful Bangladeshi dress, thick makeup, henna on her hands, and lots and lots of gold. <laughs> After my
4: marriage, I finished my education. The first year after our wedding was good, and the second year, Farooq visited me from New Zealand. After that, I got pregnant.
0: 2019 began with so much hope. Umar was working hard in Christchurch, paving the way for a new life for his new family. And when he went back to Bangladesh in January to visit Niha, she became pregnant, the first step towards his dream. The couple hadn't yet lodged the visa to allow Neha to come to New Zealand permanently. They were hoping that she could join Omar in New Zealand after their baby was born. Meanwhile, Neha moved from her family home to her new home in Nara... I told you I wouldn't pronounce this right. Nara Yanganj with Omar's mum. By March, life was going pretty well for the couple.
4: Armed police were deployed when 20 gunshots were reported at the mosque on Deans Avenue near Hagley Park. A witness says up to 30 people have been killed or injured. Another man who was inside the mosque says the shooter used two magazines of bullets and he saw 30 to 50 people lying on the ground.
0: Niha flew to New Zealand soon after the tragedy and a few months later we sat down with her as she explained why she stayed in New Zealand even though her husband had already passed away.
4: After his death, my life turned upside down. I was so happy that I was going to have Farooq's baby and had someone to live for, but equally so sad that I don't have him around. Like, how am I going to live? How am I going to spend my life now? My life is shaken. I was completely unable to understand what to do, what not to do. Then I was told I could come here and live here. So I came here and I observed the culture in New Zealand. Then I felt I could have a better life here for me and for my baby. I can spend life over there in Bangladesh as well. But I have to face being a single mother there. It could be difficult. I wanted to live here because Farooq and I had future plan for the baby. As Farooq is not here with us anymore, I wanted to continue his dream because I wanted my child to have a free life and it could be possible in New Zealand. Because I have lost my husband in this place, the significance of this place could be a sign. So. This is why I wanted her to live her life
0: here. And then Neha found something that confirmed her decision was the right one. Farooq
4: also wanted this. I know his dream was for me to live here when I read his diary. At least I can show her that this is the place where your
0: father died. Omar's diary was actually a school exercise book. In it, he wrote about his hopes and dreams. But he also used it for practising writing English. Niha showed us a few pages, and there were lines and lines of his name, and hers. Because Niha wasn't living in New Zealand at the time of the attacks, she isn't eligible for a Christchurch response residence visa this allows most of the spouses of the people who died in the tragedy to have a clear pathway to permanent residency. Niha is on a visitor's visa. She and her baby have no idea how long they can stay in the country. The country where her husband was building a life for her. The country where he was taken from her. For six months,
4: I was stressed about what I'm going to do. What will be in front of me? I'm like a pendulum swinging back and forth. I can't plan anything for my future because everything is stuck in between. I don't know if I have to go back or if I have to move forward. I'm so confused. I'm passing the days, but I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't know. I cry sometimes that I'm alone, and then sometimes I think the other way that I have to be strong for my daughter. I always have the question in my mind when she grows up. She'll ask me, "Where's my father?" How am I going to answer that question? I don't know. This is the question I'm always thinking of. Yes, always.
2: My name is Hamima and I'm from Singapore.
0: Hamima is the wife of the 51st victim the last person to die from the attacks.
2: My late husband is Sekaria Tuyan. We have two boys, a 10-year-old and a 5-year-old.
0: Hamima and her boys were living in Singapore at the time of the
2: attacks. I am a principal speech and language therapist or pathologist in the Department of Child Development.
0: Six years earlier, the family had immigrated here to New Zealand.
2: We came to Christchurch in the middle of winter, of 2013 to do my PhD at the University of Canterbury.
0: The Singaporean government had helped pay for Hamima's studies, so she returned to work there to pay off her study bond. Zachariah had a good job here, so he stayed in New Zealand. The plan was that his wife and children would come back and they would make this country their home.
2: My husband worked in an IT company. He had a degree in computer systems engineering and an MBA, my husband succumbed to his injuries and passed away on the 2nd of May.
0: That was nearly seven weeks after Zachariah was shot several times while praying at Alnord mosque. We'll hear a lot more from Hamima in later episodes of Wurahs of Shuhadah, including about those final, gruelling weeks of her husband's life. Even though Hamima and her boys have returned to live in Singapore for a while, Her connection to New Zealand is really strong, and she comes back here regularly. It was really important for us, me, Jumaya, and the other Muslim women making the series, to hear her story.
3: Hamima represents the group of women who are well-educated, not afraid to speak up for her rights, and very sophisticated in her thinking. Out of the 30-plus widows... Only two are PhD holders, and Hamima is one of them.
0: Now, back to August, when Niha was giving birth to her new baby daughter, learning how to be a single mother. The other three widows were just returning from a transformational journey of their own. Hajj. Niha couldn't go because she was so close to giving birth. But the other three widows accepted the king of Saudi Arabia's invitation to Mecca. They went with over 200 other Kiwi Muslims who were directly affected by the attacks, as the king's guests.
1: Accompanying the group, New Zealand's highest-ranking Muslim police officer, Superintendent Naila Hassan, who thanked Saudi Arabia's king for inviting the group on this special journey.
3: For him to extend uh, this invitation to 200,
5: almost 200 New Zealanders, to come and perform Hajj and continue on their journey of rehabilitation has just been... um,
3: it's just
1: been something so big uh, for all of us. Still on crutches, almost five months after he was shot in the leg inside the Al-Noor mosque, al shahadeh sinawi has arrived in Mecca in search of peace.
5: To come to the sacred place like Mecca, it just it is a big relief. You know, away from what happened to you in that place. Hajj
3: is one of the pillars of Islam. For a Muslim, it is an obligation to perform hajj at least once in a lifetime, on condition that you're capable physically and financially. So the pilgrimage consists of a series of ancient rituals, and it involves a lot of walking. People sometimes think that going to hajj in Saudi Arabia is like going for a holiday. You go on a plane and... You sit around the pool or something like that, but it's not. It's just a lot of hard work. On top of that, you will be amongst at least 4 million people. And the ritual consists of about 6 to 10 days of a series of things that need to be done. And you have to be at the right time in a specific place with 4 million people. So it's not a lot of fun. My name is Nailah Hassan. Uh, I'm a superintendent in the New Zealand Police. I was born a Muslim. Uh, my father's Pakistani from Lahore, and my mother's from England. So I'm here particularly for the women and the widows that are here. Um, I'm here to support
2: them. Hajj left me recharged
0: this is Hamima.
2: I had come from a place that has just witnessed the detrimental impact that ignorance, hatred and bigotry could have on a community, to a gathering where people come together from different parts of the world, irrespective of their races, their colours, cultures, stripped of all markers of social status and wealth. So that gave me a renewed sense of purpose in my life, some kind of closure. Mahopa
0: found Hajj helpful in dealing with her grief too. She liked spending time with the others who had lost loved ones in the tragedy. During their trip to Mecca for Hajj, all women should be accompanied by a male relative. Mohobo took one of her brothers.
5: One day they lost my brother. <laughs> <laughs> lost them? Muhubba goes on to tell the story about
0: how her brother, who has intellectual disabilities, got lost in the millions of worshippers at Hajj. She refused to leave until the police helped her out. And then she found out he had been with the New Zealand contingent the whole time.
2: <laughs>
0: so after the attacks, the widows went into mourning. Nihar prepared to give birth, and the other three out of our four widows went to hajj. And now, in September, six months after their lives were shattered, they're beginning to pick up the pieces.
1: Hiya.
5: Hiya. That's just my mum and her friend Mohobo
0: catching up with each other in Somali fashion.
5: My name is Mohobo Ali-Tama, I come from Somalia, I came to New Zealand in 1997. There never really was a point in my
0: life where I didn't know Auntie Mohobo. She really has been here from the beginning for me. She's always been so kind to me. Her late husband, Sheikh Musa, who died at Al-Nur Mosque, used to teach me Quran when I was a kid every now and again. Whenever I saw him, later on in life, he'd always comment on how much I'd grown. is 60 years old now and is really good friends with my mum, so we invited her over for some Somali tea. In Somalia, we have our tea with cinnamon and cardamom and ginger and just know that it's really yum. <laughs> so anyway,
5: I asked Auntie Mohobba what she loves about New Zealand. Before I came to New Zealand, I have never been to school. I am not able to read or write. They have provided us school here and they give us house, income. They treat us like everyone else. Whoever can learn is able to learn. Whoever can work, can work. I am old now. I had a head injury that I got in Muktushaw. It's hard for me to learn Anymore, I can listen to the TV and write, but when a teacher explains something to me, I can't remember anything afterwards. If I just watch a TV show, I can't remember what it was. People who came at the same time as me in New Zealand have gone to university and have accomplished something, but not me. If you missed that,
0: Mahuba said that she got a head injury in Mogadishu. She's talking about an injury she got during the war there. We'll hear more about that in a later episode. For now, it's enough to know that she struggles to remember things. But Mahuba said her life after coming to New Zealand was very good.
5: I used to go to school, sewing, go to work do the housework and cook for my family. I used to be happy, but not now. Life changed dramatically for Muhabba on
0: the day of the mosque attacks, as she had with dozens of other women in a separate area of the mosque. She could hear the gunshots that killed her husband. This trauma has really
5: affected her. I used to drive my car everywhere. I can't drive now. If I hear a slight bang, I get scared.
0: Mahub is getting a lot of support from various service providers in Christchurch. But for now, she can't talk about the attacks or her husband's death. She's just not ready to go there. Another problem is that she has the responsibility of helping to look after her two brothers, who she now lives with. One was born with an intellectual disability and... The other was left mentally traumatized from being involved in the Somali war as a teenager.
5: They're bigger, but. Uh... Both my brothers are grown men now. They are very handsome and strong and tall. However, their brains are not functioning like everyone else's.
0: So there's a lot on Auntie Mahopa's plate right now. She misses Sheikh Musa terribly. But Farah Talal is a 27-year-old Jordanian woman who has lived in New Zealand for the past three years. Her husband's family runs Christchurch's only Islamic preschool, and Nord. It's where I went when I was a kid and where I met a lot of my lifelong friends. We caught up at a park near her house on a spring afternoon to talk about the love of her life, Atta.
1: We have a beautiful daughter called Aya. She turned two in June. I'm originally from Jordan. But at the same time, I've I'm a mixture from all over the world. <laughs> I've got um, a quarter Turkish, a quarter Egyptian, a quarter Saudi, and a quarter Jordanian. So when we first got married, when we first got engaged, Alta would tell me, "What do I tell the people if they ask me where you're from?" I'm like, "Just tell them I'm, you know, from all over the world." Or Farah's husband, Elian, was the goalkeeper
0: for the Canterbury United Futsal Dragons, and also played for the national futsal team. In 2014, Atta was named the New Zealand Football Player of the Year. Atta was also a
1: successful businessman. He has a software company called LWA Solutions. Like they've done different softwares um, for Aramex, which is a very, very big company um, in the Middle East and just like FedEx, and then there's FedEx, they they, they work with ports of Oakland, Silver Fern Farms, um, a lot of things, and I, I believe that he was very successful and very humble at the same time. Like, I would just tell him like, oh my God, Atal, you must be very proud. And he's like, nope, I still did not achieve what I want. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're an MVP for three years in a row, and you've done this, and you've made it to the top 100 CIO list, and, and, and I'm like very proud, and you know? And he's just like, yep. Yeah, Alhamdulillah, I'm very happy but I still feel like I can give more and that was something that would amaze me a lot about him That he's very hard-working and he's very dedicated and he's very passionate about what he does and he's very loving and giving Which is basically his name because Ata is to give and this is basically what he was He would give everything he had his love, his time, his um, experience his attention everything he was too good to be true. He doesn't belong to this world. He belongs with the angels and and this is where he should be. So as sad and as lonely as I may feel, I'm happy that he is where he belongs. And I used to tell him, "Mata, you have the purest heart. <laughs> like you're too pure." And it's actually one of the things that I love about him the most. Farah's surname is Talal. That's different from her husband's,
0: Elian.
3: Generally, Muslim women who are married, do they, we do not take our husband's name. So we keep our maiden name, which is, in fact, our father's or family names.
0: Like Nihas baby Noor, right? Yes, that's right. So
3: here we see that Farah's dad was Talal and Atta's dad was Muhammad Alayan. You see that Farah actually kept her, her maiden name.
1: Farah also says, Alhamdulillah, quite a bit. Alhamdulillah, I do feel very blessed. Alhamdulillah for everything. He's just like, yeah, Alhamdulillah, I'm very
3: happy, but I still feel like I can give more. So Alhamdulillah is something that we use every day. We say, we we show our gratitude to God, and Alhamdulillah means praises be to God. So everything that I do, I will say Alhamdulillah. If I arrive safely home I will say alhamdulillah. If I've eaten and I say alhamdulillah too.
0: If I pass an exam I say alhamdulillah yes, too. <laughs> that's right, that's right. We say alhamdulillah every day mm-hmm. all the time. One of the things Farah is obviously very grateful for is her marriage to Ata.
1: When I first got to know about Ata I was very happy and I just felt very blessed that what I always prayed for is actually there.
0: People from many Western cultures can be surprised at the notion of an arranged marriage. But for Muslims around the world, it's really common to have family members get together and talk about or make arrangements for who should marry whom. For Fada, she had dreamed about the perfect husband her whole life. When she learnt about Atta through a friend of her parents, she was immediately intrigued.
1: I would just have like a list about the things that I would want in my husband. I want him to be, um, you know... Uh, very passionate and he has lots of dreams and an athletic and I want to travel with him. I want him to be fit. I want him to be pious, like a very good Muslim, a practicing Muslim, obviously, and I don't want him to have any previous relationships. I want to be the first girl in his life and a lot of people used to make fun of me, like um, especially my, my, my cousins, it's like, ah, oh, Farah, are you sure you're gonna find this man in Jannah? He's not here. You'll find him in heaven one day and i had that complete belief in, and we we in arabic we say yaqeen like um i had faith that if it's meant to be and if it's meant to happen for me that yes this man is is there i might not know him now but one day he'll find his way and he'll find me if if not it's fine i'll i'll live happily in my life i'll pursue my dreams and because i do believe that marriage completes you but it's not the only thing that you would, like it's not the only thing that you would look for and you don't wait for him for that man to make your dreams come true he will help you definitely and you will need him and you will need his support but and yeah he was everything i've ever wanted and more he exceeded my expectations and alhamdulillah i do feel very blessed even though i feel like i wish i had more time with him in 1995
0: farah's mom's best friend came to new zealand and met Atta and his family Atta was only ten years old at the time, but the family friend was so impressed at how bright and well behaved and calm the boy was. Over the years, Farah's mom's friend watched both Atta in New Zealand and Farah in Jordan grow up, and later in life she almost worked as a bit of a matchmaker for them.
1: So they know what I'm like and they know what he's like, and then one day out of the bloom she called my mother and she was like, I think I found a guy for Farah and I think he would be just perfect for her. And he lives in New Zealand. His name is Ata. And mom was like, what? New Zealand? What? And I'm, you know, her eldest. I'm the first one to get married in the family. And I'm so, like, everyone knows how close I am to the family. Like, this is the last thing I could ever do. Like, to leave them and go to the edge of the world. Which is what Ata used to say. So, but she told her, you know, you like, he's a very good guy, he's this and that. She's like, okay, I'll, I'll talk to Farah. And I was about to start my second year in my engineering degree. I studied biomedical engineering. So I was just about to start. And in Jordan, uh, engineering is five years. So I was just about, you know, my second year. And so I was out with my friends. And then I came and I was like, mama, and my mom's like, Farah, I need to talk to you. So I went on their bed, and this is where usually all the meetings happen. I would sit on my, on my parents' bed, and my mother and my father are sitting there. And he's like, yep, auntie need that cold. And there is this guy, and they think that he could be very good for you. What do you think? And I'm like, what, New Zealand? His name is Ata. really? So my father and mother were like, if you like, you could talk to him and get to know him. And then if it works, then that's awesome. You found the man of your life, you know, the man of your dreams or find your husband. And if not, my father was telling me, this is an experience and you'll learn from it and you'll grow. So would you like to give it a chance? I'm like, well, I think he has everything I want in a man. So yeah, why not? So the next thing was, okay, let's see his photo. (laughs) Because obviously you need to be okay. Like, you know, you need to like the person. So I saw his photos. I'm like, "Mm, okay, mom, I might even consider, you know, studying in New Zealand instead of Jordan, <laughs> which is about, yeah. So, I, and then after I saw him, and slowly, you know, we started to talk to each other, and, and after that, he came to Jordan after eight months, I guess. Um, and then that was the first time I got to see him, and I was so nervous. Like, I felt like I'm going to faint.
0: Farah and Atta
1: got engaged shortly after that.
0: For two years, they lived in different countries while Farah finished her university degree and prepared to move to New Zealand to begin her new
1: life. Quite interesting how hard it was to have a long-distance relationship, although he he managed to make sure that he would visit me every time I had a, a break, a uni break. And after that, after we got married, I used to, you know, like, be very excited, like every day he would come back to work, like, oh, he's here! I actually could see him every single day and I could sleep next to him and oh my God, this is awesome! And then now I reflect about it and I feel like maybe Allah was training me, like God was training me to get used to the fact that we're gonna have our long-distance relationship forever and I was blessed to be with him for a couple of years and and live in the same house um, for maybe three years, but then now I'm just gonna have to, you know, get back again and, and find my way into to the whole <laughs> find my terms with the whole long distance relationship. But this time he's never gonna respond and never gonna pick up the calls and it's just gonna be me and my thoughts and my you know, my memories. Because it's all part of Allah's plan.
0: helps run Nord, Christchurch's Islamic preschool. And like many migrants to New Zealand, she studies English to prepare for her international English exam,
1: called the IELTS. Before the 15th of March, I used to work four days a week. I used to, prepa- I used to prepare for my IELTS test, which was, um, was booked on the 9th of March. I teach Quran and Arabic for children every Saturday. Ata has training and sometimes he would do training sessions for the kids every Sunday, futsal. Uh, we would go to the park, sometimes just, you know, coffee at the beach or breakfast at the city. There's always something like, uh, I'd like to spend as much time as possible with him and Aya uh, during the weekend because we're both very busy during the week.
0: After the attacks in March and Ata's death, Farah's mum came over from Jordan and has been here for the past several months, supporting her daughter and her granddaughter. She is soon to head back home. Farah is wondering if she and her daughter should return to Jordan with her mum. There, she has her own family and a large network of friends and extended family. She definitely wants a break from normal life after the events of March 15th. But New Zealand has been a home for more than three years. It's where Atta was raised, where Aya was born, where her new life with her husband and his family is.
1: In her grief, Farah's not really sure what she's going to do. But we are a very close-tied family, very close to each other, and it's actually something I've always been like hoping that one day they could all join me and move to New Zealand and, you know, live happily ever after. <laughs> And this is no longer the case because I've never like, imagined that this scenario is going to be the way. Like, I Obviously Ata was always in the picture and now I no longer feel that I want them to come here too so that we could enjoy our lives in New Zealand, but more like I actually just need them to be around. And hopefully one day I'll be able to tell you that yes, I say it and I believe it, that I'll be able to enjoy life, but one day. <laughs>
0: After March 15, 2019, there were no words to express the Muslim community's sorrow and shock in response to the shootings. A year later, we can now hear some of the stories behind the tragedy. Stories of love and separation. Stories of new births and traumas. Stories about the faith that unites Muslims across our many cultures and languages. A lot will change for our widows as we walk alongside them, Neha has so many decisions to make about her and her baby's future. Muhubbo has a long way to go in her recovery. Has Hamima made the right decision in staying in Singapore? And Farah, Jordan, is calling her home. I hope you can walk alongside the widows of Shuhada in our next episode. Assalamu alaikum. This is Asha Abdi for RNZ and Plains FM. This series was produced by Community Access Radio Plains FM for RNZ, made
1: possible by the RNZ New Zealand Oni Innovation Fund. Did I ever tell you that I when they told ATA that I think it would be really interesting Ata if I could have my own morning show in the radio, on the radio in New Zealand? You're joking. Li- I'm not. I'm not, I was telling him that, because I do talk a lot to myself and I pretend like I'm on, the, on TV or on the radio, <laughs> and then I'm like, I thought this could be something fun. Like, you know, people driving to work and I'm talking to them. It's hard to put into words
0: how much we are grateful to our courageous widows for opening up, to help us to understand what their lives have been like since the horrific events of March 15th, 2019. Farah, Niha, Mahupo and Hamima, thank you from the bottom of our hearts and we hope that by sharing your stories, that your lives were made better too. Barakallahu fikum. Lana Hart wrote, produced, and wrangled this podcast into the world with support from Nikki Reese, Jemiah Jones, Asma Azad, and me, Asha Abdi, and a very big helping hand from RNZ's Liz Garton and Tim Watkin. To Kay Elmers, RNZ's Senior Commissioner, thank you for taking a chance on us. Lots of others rolled up their sleeves and mucked in, including Bryony Lustavica. Alex Harmer, our caring translators, Qali Mohammed and Alka Srivanasan, and the entire team at Planes FM. There are some wonderful photos, taken with love by Janeth Gill. Check them out on the RNZ website. The music is mostly from the Egyptian Oud player, Haseem Shaheen. He gave us permission to use his gorgeous Horse of Darwish piece. And there are some original pieces from local Christchurch musician, Liam Oliver. You can find Widders of Shohadar podcast on rnz.co.nz planesfm.org.nz or any podcatcher including apple podcasts stitcher spotify podbean or google podcasts don't forget to subscribe and rate us and to the 51 who were lost that day we came from allah and to allah we shall return